Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Yona Weiss from Medicine Specs. Welcome, Yona. It's great to be here, Rama. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure. Thank you very much. And a little bit about Yona. Yona Weiss is Regional Director of Medicine Specs, a division of Medicine Commercial Real Estate Services. Renowned for his knowledge in cost segregation, Mr. Weiss is a sought-after resource throughout the commercial real estate industry. In addition to having saved his clients tens of millions of dollars in taxes, Mr. Weiss uses his unique ability to interact and connect with professionals and the layman alike to build strategic partnerships in the marketplace, creating win-win situations for all. So with that, Yona, you want to add anything to your background? Well, uh, you know, you you summed it up. The only thing I would add over there is uh, probably since that bio went up. We are, you know, hosting the Weiss Advice podcast. So after you finish listening to this episode, please go and check that out. Awesome. Cool. So let's start from basics. So what is cost segregation? Cost segregation is a tax strategy for real estate investors. Essentially, it's an advanced form of depreciation. And depreciation is a tax deduction that you are able to take from your income tax whenever you buy a property. Okay. Besides your personal residence, if you buy an investment or rental or business property, you're able to literally write off the entire value of that property from your income taxes. Uh, you can't do it all at once. So that's what depreciation comes in. It, it creates a schedule that you're able to take a little bit of a deduction each year over the course of a 27 and a half or 39 year period. Okay, that's depreciation. Consideration just ramps that up and breaks down the property into its individual components. And you're able to take bigger deductions in the earlier years by front loading certain portions of that property. Uh, so you can get the bigger deductions in the in the first few years. Got it. Yeah, thank you. So what type of properties are eligible for cost segregation? Any type of property. I mean, it's an amazing thing. It's not limited to uh, you know to anything. So we're the biggest national company. We do about 5,000 of these a year. And you know everything from single families, uh, rentals, you know, whether long-term, short-term, up to you know, skyscrapers, shopping malls, you know, everything in between, self-storage, office, retail, industrial, multifamily, of course, which is probably a very big, uh, a big component. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So how do I know like if cost segregation is right for my property? The best thing to do is most companies, including ours, will offer a free upfront analysis. So you can see the difference between taking regular straight line depreciation versus using the cost segregation method. Um, and so we provide that just so you can see the numbers. And usually any property purchased for over, I'd say, $300,000 um, is usually you know, a pretty good candidate. Obviously, the higher the value of the property, the more benefit there's going to be because it is a proportion or a percentage of your purchase price that you're able to accelerate the depreciation of. So on a million dollar property, you may be getting, you know, let's say 20% of that up front. You know, it's well worth it to pay a few thousand dollars to get this done if you're going to get a two, three hundred thousand dollar tax deduction. Uh, obviously, the smaller the property is, 
the less beneficial it's going to be. Got it. So can, can we do uh, cost aggregation personal property? When you when you say personal property, you mean like your residence? Yeah. No, unfortunately, you cannot do it on your personal residence. It is only for business or rental properties. Got it. Got it. So, what is the best time to uh, do a cost segregation study? Probably the best time is as soon as you acquire the property. Not going to say that that's always going to be the best time because there are certain times when you you may not be profitable in the first year and you have you know a bigger tax liability maybe in the second year of ownership you can actually get it done at any time so you don't need to get it done right away uh, but it's probably best especially if you do have a tax liability and you want to reduce your income tax to get it done in the first year uh, however, like I said, you can get it done at any time after that. So if you've owned a property for a few years and you've never done cost seg, you can actually do one now and uh, and catch up whatever depreciation that you missed that you could have taken. So how exactly it works like for each year? Yeah. So, I mean, year by year, instead of taking, uh, let's say, an equal deduction over a 27 year period, uh, what we're doing is front loading, you know, by making an engineering analysis of the property and showing how certain components depreciate according to the tax code uh, over a five year or 15 year schedule, we're able to front load those deductions. So you may be able to take, like I said, 20% over the first five years, which is going to double or triple your deduction, what you would have taken. Uh, and if that's the case, then in the subsequent years, you will just have relatively less. You'll only be taking the remaining 80% of those potential deductions on that equal 27-year schedule. Uh, so again, we're just like, imagine you have like a pool of these potential deductions, right? This kind of imaginary bank account. And you can only withdraw from it a little bit every single year. But with this cost creation, you can, you know, put your ATM card in and, and pull from those deductions and get a big lump sum upfront. That's that's what we're doing. So the remaining amount will still be spread equally over the rest of those years. Got it, got it. So how is cost segregation different from other types of property tax strategies? It's different for, I mean, some types of properties will have more uh, benefit because there's more personal property inside the building. So one of the main things we're looking at when we're doing a conservation study is how much what the IRS considers personal property. So it means tangible or essentially non-structural components. Um, to, For an example, in a multifamily property, we include things like furniture or fixtures, uh, appliances, equipment, even things like countertops or cabinets window treatments, even flooring like vinyl or carpeting uh, and things like that. And there's a whole dozen you know, categories of, of other components that would go into those. So the more of those personal property items there are, the more benefit there's going to be in the cost irrigation. So you may have a property like a warehouse where there's not going to be a lot of personal property inside. Maybe you have some shelving, um, maybe some security systems and things like that. But otherwise, it's pretty empty. It's pretty bare, mainly structural. So there's going to be much less conservation benefit on that. Whereas, you know, on the flip side where you have maybe like a multifamily or an assisted living facility where you have, you know, major amounts of equi equipment and furnishings, there's going to be more of a degree of those deductions up front. So what components are not included in cost segregation? Uh, the structural components. So we're going to, what we're doing is really bringing down everything. Okay. So we're showing what falls under the category of personal property, five-year schedule, and then what also falls under the 15-year, which is land improvements or anything outside the property, like landscaping, um, pavement, concrete, you know, anything like that, fencing. And then we're also determining and identifying what's the structural components. So you'll have things like the walls, roof, 
windows, you know, the foundation, the infrastructure of electric and plumbing, things like that. So when we're taking into account all of those, you know, permanent fixtures or permanent structural components of the property, those are the things that are going to remain on the longer 27 and a half or 39 year schedules and are going to be, you know, the majority, that's almost always the bulk of the deductions are going to fall under that category. Got it. Can we do cost segregation on short-term rentals? Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, it's probably extreme. It's probably a really good idea to do it for short-term rentals. Uh, are, are you familiar? Have you heard of this loophole? They call the short-term rental loophole with regards to cost segregation. No, have you come across that? No, no. It's 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 quite fascinating. Um, generally speaking depreciation is looked at as a passive deduction, okay, which means you can only use depreciation to offset your passive income or your rental income. If you have that uh, multiple properties or you have other passive income, that's where depreciation is going to hit. So it's going to be more beneficial if you have a lot of properties or you are considered a real estate professional. However, there is a loophole, we call it, um, within the passive activity rules in the tax code that says short-term rentals, if the average stays less than seven days, you can actually consider it as active income, in which case the depreciation from that property is no longer limited just to offset your passive income. It can also be used to offset your active or your W-2 income. So this is one type of property that is really uh, special more than any other type of property. Awesome. Good to know that. Yep. So what are the tax implications of cost segregation? I'd say the biggest one is what we discussed in terms of the passive uh, activity rules and the limitations. So if you're not a real estate professional, you're just going to be limited to use those passive deductions to offset your passive income. A lot of people think, well, if I'm a high W-2 earner, I can get these huge deductions and offset my and use them to reduce or offset my W-2 income. And that's usually not the case. Um, you know, unless you or your spouse are a real estate professional, you're going to be you know, left just holding this big losses. You'll have this big amount of tax deductions and they will carry forward. So you're not going to lose them out this year, you know, if you don't use them this year, but you won't be able to maximize them in the current year. I'd say another big um, tax, you know, I guess impact or, or thing that, you know, to be aware of is when you sell a property, there's something called depreciation recapture tax. And this is often thought of as uh, a downside of using cost irrigation, because if you take this big amount up front, you're just going to pay it back. And that's simply not true. It doesn't mean that you're going to pay it back. What it means is that the amount of depreciation you took is going to be subject to a tax on the sale of the property. Uh, you can defer that tax with the 1031 exchange, or you can reduce that by having other passive losses uh, during that year of the sale. So it's not like you are certainly going to pay it back, but it's something that is going to affect you. And you want to make sure that you understand the, uh, you know, the effects of that. Got it. So since you mentioned 1031 exchange, how exactly cost segregation, cost segregation works on 1031 exchanges? The main thing to understand with uh, 1031 exchanges is that your basis carries over, meaning the amount of depreciation you took on property A that you're selling and exchanging for property B. So the amount of depreciation that you took on property A is going to be reduced and deducted from the amount of depreciation that you can take on property B. So your depreciation carries over into the next property. So let's say you uh, you know you took $100,000 worth of depreciation on property A, and then you go ahead and buy a new property. Well, 
whatever the purchase price is, that always establishes how much depreciation you can take. But in this case, with 1031 exchange, you're going to have to reduce that purchase price by $100,000 that you already took of depreciation from the previous property. Got it. Cool. So what are the risks associated with cost segregation? Um, there's not really many risks involved whatsoever. I think the biggest risk is is not to do it, to be honest. <laughs> the biggest risk is leaving yourself open for tax exposure when you have an opportunity to either defer or reduce your income taxes. Okay, got it. So what are the steps involved in cost segregation? The steps are pretty simple. Number one, you always want to reach out to a qualified firm that does this um, and get a free estimate, get a free analysis. And so that we provide upfront. And then the steps are including a site visit to the property by the engineer, either on site physically or virtually, uh, which we've been doing since the onset of COVID. And once you have that done, the engineer will request, will also request some documentation like uh, um, appraisal, a site survey, the closing statement, just to verify facts and you know I identify what all the things are, and then follow the rules in the cost segregation audit techniques guide that determines how we're supposed to do this. It takes about six to eight weeks for us to turn this around, and then you have your new depreciation schedule and hand it off to your accountant, and that's it. It's pretty, pretty straightforward process. Awesome. And so, would you share any of your best uh, cost segregation experience? I mean, the best experience is always getting the feedback from people that um, oftentimes believe it's almost too good to be true. And the amazing thing is, is that this is not some loophole. This is not something that is like some risky strategy. This is directly from the tax code. And in fact, is considered the proper way to depreciate your property is to use this method. So what's amazing to me is to see people who go through the process and come back and say, I, you know, I paid zero income tax this year, or I was able to, you know, buy a whole new property from the savings that I made or, or that I kept from not paying taxes this year. And so that just, that's an incredible story to see. Got it. Got it. So would you also share any of challenging experience with cost segregation? I'd say the biggest challenges are um, are people that really just don't understand how it works. And, you know, they think that they're going to get this huge write off and then be able to use it against everything. And, you know, you often that's why upfront, I always like to have conversations with people and just make them aware of, uh, you know, of what the situation is. One example of that is where you're doing major renovations on a property. And there are, you know, without getting too deep into the weeds here, there are times when you can use the consideration on the acquisition, and then whatever money was put in to renovate the property, you can double dip and add that on and then take the depreciation of that as well. But there are other times when if you don't actually place the property in service as a rental before you start the renovations, you're actually going to miss out on the cost segregation from the acquisition. And so you're going to miss out a huge amount. So with people, it's kind of hard for them to understand that. Uh, where one time they may buy a property, not do renovations, get a huge tax you know, return benefit from that. And then another time they'll buy a property and then just do renovations and be like, well, how come I didn't get the deductions from the acquisition? And I have to explain, well, there are you know very specific rules regarding if you're not placing it in service, if you're not actually renting it out, you can't actually claim the depreciation yet. You have to wait until you finish the depreciations and at the, uh, the renovations, excuse me. And at that point, you're missing out on a lot of the stuff that you removed or disposed from the property. So there are things like that that are a bit challenging, um, but it's always good to have conversations, always good to educate yourself. Got it. Thank you. So how exactly cost segregation works for class A, class B, class C? 
where exactly investors will get more benefits? I mean, it's very, very similar um, for all types of properties. We're going to determine the value, the engineers are going to determine the value of the property and all those components in them. Like I said, the structural components, as well as the value of the personal property and the other types of components. The biggest thing with class A properties is when they're newly constructed, newly built, the, there's more value in the structure, if you can understand, right? The, the roof, the walls, the foundation, everything like that is more new. So it's going to have more relative value, which means it, when we're looking at and kind of finding a percentage of each component, more is going to be uh, structured towards the structural components. Got it. Got it. So on what is your current focus, you know? My current focus yeah. is just educating people as much as possible about this subject. Um, investing as well on my own, finding the great deals and, and great operators to work with and uh, just having fun, you know, doing the podcasting and uh, loving life. Awesome. Awesome. So any of your personal habits that are helping you to be successful? I'd say the biggest personal habit is you know, going out of my way to help other people. Okay. So it, it may seem like something, oh, well, that's something I like to help people too, but making it an active, um, th- making it a really mindful process where you're going out of your way to make introductions, you're going out of your way to provide value and to, to help people, whether that's monetarily, uh, which I'm a very big proponent of, giving, you know, more, more than you're even comfortable with giving, right? Away of your money to other people, because, you know, underprivileged people, you know, we're, we're meant to help, help others. That's what we're here in this world for, um, but also with your time and, and giving. So those are, that's probably what makes me as successful as I am. Um, you know, thank God is to be able to have that mindset. Cool. Cool. So share any one personal moment or personal thought or personal learning or any one decision that impacted your life. Uh, wow. There's so many, like every day, there's so many learning moments. Uh, but that's, that's really it. Like keep learning. I used to be a teacher and really I still am for, for a lot of intents and purposes, but being a teacher, you learn more from your students than you do from, you know, textbooks or you do from your, your colleagues. And that's probably the biggest learning, uh, you know, piece that I had is that the more you teach, the more you actually learn. And so, you know, continue. If you, whatever it is that you know, you know something, you should go and teach that to someone else because you'll learn even more through that process. Good to know that. Yeah, awesome. I totally agree on that point. And any books that impacted your life and what way? So many books. Um, uh, I'll just, I'll mention the seven habits of highly effective people. That was one of the first business books that I ever picked up. And, you know, it's, yes, it's a business book, but it's also like on personal development and uh, was, it just really struck me. I, I think I knew pretty much all of the concepts, but the way that he broke it down and the steps, you know, in, uh, in doing that, it just, it really made a lot of sense to me and changed a lot of the ways that I, I kind of approached different situations. Got got So anything else you want to share with uh, our audience? I would say, you know, you guys are doing the right thing. If you're listening to this podcast, then you are on the right path because education is key, but don't forget to take action, right? Take these practical lessons you're learning and put them to practice. Got it. And how are you giving back to community, Yona? Giving back as much as I can. I mean, like I said, monetarily, as many organizations I help support individuals as well as, uh, you know, time. So I'm out there on social media, 
helping people, just showing people the right way to to do it, to learn how to use social media. Um, because I I really honestly believe that there's so much you can gain, uh, especially nowadays with marketing and um, with social media, and a lot of people, especially LinkedIn specifically, is the platform I'm most active on, and people just don't know how to use it properly. And uh, and I think that's one way that I like to give back is just showing people, and you know it really changes lives. It's unbelievable. Awesome. Awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you, Yona? Well, first of all, go to LinkedIn and make sure to give me a little comment that you listen to this podcast, or you can go to yonawice.com and learn more about what we're doing. Awesome. And thank you very much, Yona. And thanks for sharing your expertise on cost segregation and also giving your personal side and based on challenging experiences. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.